Guys, there is so much happening at Clovis Hills. Anybody excited for City Fest coming up? City Fest, yeah. If you have not got your signs, get those, put those in your front yard. Now last week you were given cards and asked to pray for five people who don't know Jesus that you want to come to Jesus. How many of you guys are praying for those, those five people right now? All right, all right, very good. 1040, you did the best, man. I asked 9 o'clock, and there were just like, like three people were praying, man. So thank you, 1040, for being the church. Yeah, this is good, man. And uh, I'm excited about that because uh, Luis Palau is a great evangelist, and he's going to be speaking uh, to the people of Fresno. And we're just expecting God to move through this place and move through our city. Wouldn't it be awesome just to see our city in revival and people coming to Christ just in a mass way in the city of Fresno? You know how that would change our city? It would be tremendous. I'm glad you're all excited about that too. Okay, listen, man. Listen. You guys slept in for a reason. You should not be tired. I know you lost that, that hour, but it's all right. We got to get going here, man. We got to get going. Well, guys, uh, last week, so Pastor Sean's over in Israel, and, and, and they're, they're doing good. Some of them are sick. Pray for them. Last weekend, I was down in Southern California. We have a school of ministry here at Clovis Hills called E212. And uh, yeah, what? there's one of our students right there. See, Daddy, you got some sleep. That's awesome. Last weekend you didn't, but you did this weekend. But uh, we were down there visiting some churches last weekend, and it was great. And, uh, and Pastor John, I, I came home last Sunday. Check this out. I came home last Sunday uh, late at night, and my wife, I asked her, hey, how did the weekend go? How did Sunday go? And she goes, oh, Pastor John was good. He was really good. And uh, that was exciting to me. So uh, I had to do some things this week. I had to make some voyages this week to some exotic cities. I had to go to Porterville and Bakersfield this week. Uh, Great ministry happening in those exciting places, but uh, don't you love it as Fresno that we have pe places we can laugh at too, you know, laugh about, it's awesome. But um, uh, I got, on Tuesday morning, I got to listen to Pastor John's message, and all I can say is, he killed it. He did so good, man. Didn't he do good? Thank you. There we go. Goodness gracious. We, we got to do something here, man. Get that water warm. We got to do something with that water. Here we go. Um, he killed the message. He killed it. And I'm going to be honest with you guys this morning that, that I listen to that message. Now, when I'm getting ready to, to preach on any given weekend, and I know Sean does the same thing, then we, we don't just spend a couple days. Yeah, I, I know the reputation you guys have of pastors. They're like, oh, they could just get up and talk and all that kind of stuff. It's not true. And, and so we have to actually prepare and really dive in and, and get stuff going. And we usually do that, you know, about a couple weeks out. We start thinking about it and, and you know, research and doing some stuff. Um, and I started to do that. And I had a direction we were going to go this morning. And then I listened to Pastor John's message on Tuesday. And I kid you not, after I listened to the message, I'm like, that was awesome. And, you know, I think God just spoke to me and said, I think we just need to go this direction today. So I only tell you that because if you look in your notes, there's no notes. It just says notes. And I tell you that because I don't have any notes. I have no notes. So I'm just going to I'm just gonna get up here and just speak from my heart this morning about some things that I think God is just doing and, and stuff that, that I think God just needs our church to hear. And so if you're okay with that, I'm proceeding. Amen. I was going to do it anyway, whether you said amen or not. All right, here we go. 
So we are going to be in the uh, Exodus chapter 32. So if you have your Bible, your, your notebook, your iPad, your phone, however you access the Bible, turn with us to Exodus chapter 32. We're going to start in verse 1, and my friend Janie's going to come out, and she's going to read to you out of God's Word. So as reverence for God's Word, if you are able to, please stand and join us for the reading of God's Word this morning. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship Offerings. Afterwards, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. And you may be seated. Our story begins after a very familiar miracle that happened in Scripture. Probably one of the most popular miracles. And that is the people of Israel, the Israelites, they were, they were enslaved in Egypt for generations and generations Many born there and just didn't know anything else but slavery. And daily they would cry out to their God to save them from this slavery. And in walks Moses, raised as, as part of Pharaoh's family, only to deliver the people of Egypt from captivity. And you guys know the story. If you don't, go watch Prince of Egypt. It'll explain everything. Yeah, right. <laughs> and so... We find ourselves right at the end of that. The, the, the Israelites saw the faithfulness of God. The Israelites saw how faithful God was when he delivered them from the hand of Pharaoh. And as the, Egypt, as the Israelites were leaving Egypt, they found themselves backed up against the, the Red Sea, only to see God perform another miracle as God parted the Red Sea and the Israelites were able to, to travel through the Red Sea on dry ground and then when the Egyptians were able to go through, they crushed them, crushing their enemies. And we saw God faithful once again. And so we find ourselves in this story. It's peculiar because God, uh, I mean, the Israelites had seen God to be faithful over and over and over again. And yet we come to Exodus 32 where they hit a speed bump. They hit a little bit of problems. And this is what they do. So we begin our story right here in Exodus 32 on verse 1, where the Egyptians are in a posture that's something like this. You know, they're sitting there and looking at their watches and gazing at heaven and looking at their watches and gazing at the mountain and asking themselves the question, where is God? He went up the mountain with Moses and we haven't seen him in a long time. Where is God? And they waited and they waited and they waited and still no God. You've been in that situation before, haven't you? 
where storms are gathering in your life and things don't seem to be going well and you pray and you pray and you pray and you ask yourself the question, God, where are you? Now, I know we don't like to talk about this at church because we like to hear the stories where God showed up right in time. And we don't like to talk about sometimes in the Christian life, there are times that it seems we are going through storms and God is nowhere to be found. There's sometimes we are going through rough spots and we just pray and we pray and we take the same posture as the people of Israel and we look at our watch and we look up at the heaven and we wonder where is God? Sometimes we say, God, my bills, they're due today. And I ran out of money yesterday. Where are you? God, my kids are crazy. <laughs> you look to heaven and, and they're still crazy. Where are you, God? If we could just spend a moment of honesty, we have to say that sometimes in the Christian life, this is the way that it is. And sometimes we go through storms and we go through dry periods and it just seems God is distant, that he's out there somewhere. And you get the feeling that maybe he's not listening to you. And that, 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 that gives us a, a certain dynamic in our relationship with God, doesn't it? Every relationship has dynamics. And that poses a certain uh, interesting dynamic with our relationship with God when we're in one of those situations. You see, the problem is that sometimes we, we write down what, what should be happening in our lives and we make notes about what's happening in our lives where God, please take, take a look at what should be happening in our lives. Sometimes we write very detailed description of what should be happening in our life. And I know you guys call those prayer requests, but sometimes, you know, if we're just real, they're just detailed descriptions of what should be happening in our life. And we're expecting God to just take care of those things. And when he does it, we step away and say, where are you, God. You seem so distant. You seem like you're doing your own thing. You seem like you are a disobedient God. A disobedient God. A God who doesn't listen to my will. A God who doesn't look at what's on the paper that I wrote. A God who's not listening to my prayer request. It seems as if God is out doing his own thing. He's writing his own script. He's gone off the script, in fact. It seems as if he is a disobedient God. You know the dynamic is interesting? When we're in those moments, every relationship has a dynamic. Me and my wife, we, we have a certain dynamic. Our dynamic is like this. She tells me what to do and I do it. That's our dynamic, <laughs> right? And every relationship has a dynamic. And our relationship with God is no different. In fact, I want to illustrate this for you. So here, uh, Josh Gibson, right in the back, man. Come down here real quick. Help me out here, man. Give a hand for Josh Gibson right there, man. This guy is like... You see this guy up there playing like bass and drums and he's super tall and huge. And this is just Josh Gibson. That's all who, this is who it is. Man. Come up here. I did not tell him I was going to do this. He has no idea what he's doing right now. Do you have any idea what you're doing right now? No, he has no idea what he's doing. I want you to sit right here, Mr. Josh, right here. This is Josh Gibson. And, and remember, in our relationship with God, just like any other relationships, there are certain dynamics that we have to pay attention to. 
And so, so if we just look at our relationship with God, sometimes this is kind of what it looks like. So Josh, today I want you to be Jesus. Josh, why are they laughing at you, man? Do they know something that we don't know? <laughs> I'm just kidding. You're going to play Jesus. You're a good man. You're going to play Jesus. So as a Christian, when we give our lives to Christ, we put Jesus, we don't just take him as our Savior, we take him as our Lord. And so what we're saying in the Christian life is, Jesus, you are my Savior and you are my Lord and I'm going to put you on the throne and I'm going to bow down to you. That, that's what the Christian life is. Are you following me? So, Josh, you're Jesus, and this is your throne. Jesus' throne. Jesus' throne. You got it. You're good. And here we are as believers. We're bowing down. We're bowing down right here, man. Me and, me and big Jesus right here. Jesus, this is good. And this is sometimes how we do life. Jesus pats you on the back and everything's good, like, just like that. And then we go through life, you know. We're, we're going through life, and, and it looks something like this. We, we say, oh, Jesus, Jesus, this is good, man. Jesus, look at my life, man. Look at it. It is, it is good. We have a good life, Jesus. Me and you make a good team. Me and you, good team, Jesus. Life is good. Life is, life is, wait a minute, wait. My boss wants to talk to me? My, wait a minute. I never, Jesus, my boss wants to talk to me. Never, never, never had to talk to my boss before. I, I'm not sure what's going to happen. Wait, there's going to be layoffs? You mean there's layoffs right now, man? Just, oh my gosh, there's going to be, I'm going to be laid off. Jesus, I am, I Jesus, where are you going? You're not going to disappear. Get over here, man. We make a good team. Come on, me and you, Jesus. Good team right here. Take a look at my life, Jesus. My boss wants to talk to me, man. I'm getting fired, Jesus. I'm getting fired, man. I'm getting, what am I going to do? I, oh, I got another interview, Jesus. Check this out, man. I got another interview. Oh, this is going to be good, Jesus. This is going to be really good. Oh, this is awesome, Jesus. Oh, I get benefits. I didn't have benefits at my other job, Jesus. Man, Obamacare is kicking in. Me, you, and Obamacare doing good. High five, Jesus. Woo! Everything is good. Life is good. I love my job, Jesus. In fact, I'm kind of passionate about my job. I could do all kinds of things for you, Jesus, in this job. This is really good. I love my job, Jesus. Man, hit me right here, Jesus. Boom. Yeah, me and you, good team. Good team, man. Life is good, Jesus. Woo. Jesus, you looking at my life? Life's right there. Oh, it's good. Wait a minute. I got to go to the doctor? He wants to take some test results, Jesus. He got some test results coming in. I am scared, Jesus. I've never had to do this before. Oh, Jesus, please make everything okay. Oh, Jesus. Oh, oh wait, wait, wait. The test results came back negative? Oh, I'm healthy? Oh, I could do all kinds of things. I'm healthy, Jesus. This is good. Thank you, Jesus. One more time, me and you, baby, right here. I love this, man. Life is so good. I feel good. I'm healthy. Woo, we're going to do great things together, Jesus. Me and you, a team, un unstoppable, me and you, man. Jesus, I'm going to be honest with you. kind of lonely. I think I need a wife, Jesus. Come here, Jesus. I think, yeah, there's a, there's a lot to choose from right here. I know my wife's right over there. I ain't looking at her right now because she's going to get me later, Jesus, but, but you're going to be there for me. Jesus, I need a wife. I'm lonely, Jesus. I'm lonely. Can you help me get a wife, Jesus? Well, hold on. Let me pick her out first, man. Let, let me, yeah, I'll pick her out first. Yeah, right over there. Bertha. Bertha. Bertha's good, man. Oh, Bertha's beautiful. Come on, Jesus. I want you to bless me and Bertha. Oh, me and Bertha. She is so beautiful. Woo, mama seat. The Bertha is really, really beautiful. Jesus, you did a good job there, Jesus. High five. Yeah. Oh, me and Bertha. Oh, wait. 
Oh, wait, Jesus. Bertha's crazy, Jesus. Bertha's crazy. Get out of here, Jesus. Bertha is crazy. Help me, Jesus. Help me. Get over here, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. Help me. Bertha is crazy. Get her away from me, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Woo. We, we dodged a bullet on that one, Jesus. High five. Woo. Do you see what we do? Do we see what we do in our dynamic with our relationship with God? Now, I know you guys come to the 1040, so I'm not really talking about you guys, but that pagan crowd that comes at nine o'clock, let me tell you something. This right here is what they do, okay? But you guys don't do that. You guys might look something more like this, like this, right here, right here. No, don't, look it up, Jesus. I'm not gonna take you off the throne. I'm a good person. We're gonna share right here, the throne, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, you need a little diet, Jesus. I can't get out of Come on, Jesus. Come on, come on. Is that good, Jesus? You're good? Come on, right here, Jesus. Yeah, Jesus, this is it, baby. Right here, we share the throne. This is good. This better not end up on Instagram or anything, Jesus. This is good. Yeah, right here, man. Oh, oh, you want a selfie, Jesus? Yeah, selfie, Jesus. That's right, Jesus, take a selfie of us right here. Oh, me and Jesus. Me and Jesus. No, no, don't go anywhere. Yeah, don't go anywhere. Maybe that one looks a little more familiar, if we're honest. Or sometimes we leave Jesus on the throne and we decide we just want to write our own script. We want to write our own life story. And we begin to write in our own life story. We begin to write our own script and we just want Jesus to initial it at the bottom. Sometimes we just write our own script and this is the way my life's gonna go and Jesus, will, will you just sign it to say that it's okay? Put your stamp of approval on it. See, my life's gonna be so good and, and it's not like it's gonna be bad. My script's gonna be good. I wouldn't write horrible things in my script because I'm a good guy. I'm a, I follow Jesus and, and so I'll just write my own script. You know, like for example, uh, I'll be generous. I wanna be generous. Jesus was generous. He fed all those people. You remember, he fed all those people. He's a generous God, right? You gave all those people wine. I love you, Jesus, for getting all those people wine. That's really cool. I'm going to put generosity into my script. And my kids, oh, my kids. I, I want my kids to be good people. You love children, right, Jesus? You love Jesus? Yeah, you love children. So I'm going to make sure my children are, are well taken care of. And, and you know what? My children are going to be virgins. You like virgins? Your mom was a virgin, Jesus, right? Yeah, you like virgins, man. My kids are going to be virgins. And we just write our own script. And then we take the script and we give it to Jesus and say, this, you're going to like this life, Jesus. Just, just stamp it. Just approve of it. Are you with me? Do we find ourselves doing some of that? Let's give it up for Jesus right here. Give it up for a thanks, man. Love you, brother. Good, man. But here's the deal. Jesus didn't die to sign our script. Jesus didn't die to be our co-pilot. Jesus didn't die so that we would shove him off the throne. Jesus died so we could have access to the throne, so that every believer could come before the throne of God and lay everything at his feet and just kneel and say, Jesus, I'm ready to go. I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. I'm willing to go wherever you want me to go. I am yours and you are mine. That's why Jesus died. And yet sometimes in our dynamic, in our relationship, it more looks like more like this 
than the other. And that's what's happening to the people of Israel. You see, they saw God to be a faithful God. They saw him part the Red Seas. They saw him provide manna in the desert. They saw him crush the, the enemy's army. And they knew that he was a faithful God. How many of you guys know God to be a faithful God? Because you've seen it in your lives. <laughs> Me too. Me too. But yet there are times that even though I worship the, the, the faithful one, I worship God, there are times that, just like the Israelites, instead of looking to the one who is faithful, I look to the familiar, and I put my hand in that which is familiar. You see, the Egyptians came out of Egypt, but I wonder if Egypt was still in them. You see, so many times we come out of addictions, we come out of problems, we come out of situations where God delivers us, but I wonder how much of that stuff is still in us, even though we are removed from that. And that's what's happening here. So God is up in, some, in the mountain with Moses, and the Israelites are tired of waiting. They're tired of waiting. And so they look to Aaron, and they say, Aaron... I don't know where God is. He seems so distant. He seems so far away. He's not doing what we want him to do for our lives. You see, he seems like he's a disobedient God. And so Aaron says, I want you to take your gold and I want you to give it to me. And what did they do with the gold? They created a God that they could literally control. They created a God that they could literally move around wherever they wanted him to go. See, they liked that God they could control. So what they did was they reached in the time when they were searching for God. They were looking for God to come down off the mountain, but they couldn't wait anymore. And so instead of waiting for God, they reached for what was familiar. They reached for their gold that was familiar to them. They knew it back in Egypt. and They saw what the Egyptians did with gold. And they said, Aaron, make a God like they had in Egypt. And they reached for the familiar instead of to the one who was faithful. And we do the same things, don't we? If I was honest with you this morning, I would tell you that at times when I'm going through my Christian walk and God seems distant to me, that I'm not hearing from him, I'm not seeing him move in my life, that at times I look away from the faithful one and I reach for what is familiar. You see, sometimes we look to the one who is faithful and we look to the one who we should be looking to and then we put our hands in things that are very familiar you see, we want intimacy with God. We want a God who will be intimate with us. We want a God who will know us and know everything about us. We want a God who will be intimate, intimate into me, 
intimacy. I see you, God, wants to see me. He, he sees everything about me. He sees all my faults. He sees all my problems. He sees everything about me, and he loves me despite of me. That's what we long for. We long for an intimate relationship with God, and instead of reaching for that intimate relationship with God, we settle by putting our hands in the familiar. We reach for things like pornography, because that's just familiar and it's easy and it's quick. But we know that just leaves us empty and shallow. We long for the intimacy of God and yet we reach for things that are just easy, accessible, that are part of our past. And yet we bring them into our future. We reach for those things. We long for an intimacy with God, but yet we jump around from relationship to relationship looking for someone to fulfill the needs that are in my life. And instead of looking for God to fill those needs, we look into other people to fill those needs. And we go from relationship to relationship. And we know, we know that nobody else is going to fill those holes. Only God can fill those holes. And yet we reach for the familiar and we try to get other people to fill those holes in our life. I call it the Jerry Maguire theology. How many of you guys have seen Jerry Maguire before? Can you believe that movie's 20 years old? You guys don't even know Jerry Maguire. See, they're all like, I know who's Jerry Maguire. Watch it, it's a great movie. No, okay, you're missing out. But it's the Jerry Maguire theology. And this is what I mean by that. You remember the scene in the movie where Tom Cruise comes in and he opens up the door to the living room and he steps right in and he tells all the ladies in the living room, I'm here to see my wife. And then she pops her head up behind the, the couch and she looks at him and he looks right at her and he says those famous words, you complete me. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. You complete me. I mean, are you crazy? It's good romance. It's bad theology. Only God, the one who can provide the intimacy that we are longing for in our hearts can provide that for you. But instead, we reach for the familiar and we want other people to fill those holes. And so we jump from relationship to relationship hoping that somebody else will fill that need in my life. If I give 50% and you give 50%, we can become whole. The problem is that once they leave, you're back to 50%. When we have a God who says to us that I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, greater is he that is in me that is he that is in the world. We have a promise from God on that, and yet we reach for the familiar. We want people to fill us and fill us. I'm here to tell you this morning, guy, if you are that person and you are looking to be filled in other relationships, it's never going to come. It's never going to come. Guess what, guys? You need to be filled by God so that you can become 100%, so that when you enter into a relationship, you can be a gift to somebody instead of baggage to somebody. That's what the other person deserves, and that's what the other person should get. Now, Jerry Maguire theology leads into Taylor Swift theology. My man Grant right there loves Taylor Swift, man. He loves Taylor Swift. 
That's my partner right there in the restaurant. He loves Taylor Swift. He's always saying, let's play Taylor Swift in the restaurant. I say, no, let's not. <laughs> but Jerry Maguire theology leads to Taylor Swift theology. A few years ago, she came out with a song, and I didn't quite understand the song. And I said, play that song back, because I'm not understanding what she's saying. And, and then I heard the words clear, and then I said, I still don't understand what she's saying. And she sang a song that went something like this. <clears throat> I'm going to try. Here we go. Taylor, Taylor Swift. The prophet Taylor Swift. Here she goes. This is what she said right here. She sang a song. Maybe you know it. She said, she, and we will never, ever, ever get back together. We. <laughs> Babe, I'm so sorry I embarrassed you like this. I am so sorry. <laughs> Okay, the bottom line is I'm out of control. Okay, so we, the word that we will never, ever, ever get back together. We will never, ever, ever. And the question is, then why are you singing about him? Have you ever thought about that? Why in the world are you spending so much time thinking about somebody who you're saying you are never gonna get back together? So here's the problem. That sometimes we break up with things but they're still in our mind. And even though we broke up with them in the past, we bring them into the present and future because we're not ready to let go of them. You see, God did not die on a cross so that we could bring that stuff with us. He wants us to lay that stuff down at his feet and walk away and praise him for taking that from us. You following me, church? You see, the, the people of Israel, the children of Israel, they sat there. And when God seemed distant, when it seemed as if they were listening to the children of Israel, when he seemed like he was a disobedient God, they remembered Egypt. And they built a God. Because that's what they were familiar with. And even though they left Egypt, Egypt was still in them. And they went right back to the familiar. I wonder how many times we do that in our Christian walk. When God seems distant, when God doesn't seem like he's listening to us, when he seems disobedient, do we drag that which is familiar right into the present and build idols, those idols that are in our hearts? What are you reaching for this morning? I want us to take a moment to think about that because it's such an important question. What are we reaching for in the familiar? You see, it doesn't only happen in relationships. It happens with our finances, right? We long for a God who gives us security. He said he'll never leave us or forsake us. He said that once we become believers that no one can snatch them out of our hand. We long for a God who offers, gives us security and yet we look to our bank accounts as a source of security. We think somehow that if we have enough money in the bank that we'll be secure from all the storms that happen in life. And how many of us know that is not true? You know how I know that's not true? Because I've had a buck and I've had Jesus and I felt secure, more secure 
than when my bank account looks good. I'm not saying that money's bad. I'm not saying that money's bad at all. But what I'm saying is this, that when you're broke and you have Jesus, it's okay. And when you have money, you have Jesus. It's okay. I just don't want you to take Jesus out of the equation and think that something else is going to fulfill you and secure you, because it's not. You see, we bow down at the altar of materialism, and we somehow think that that's going to cause security in our lives. I'd rather have a buck in Jesus all day than a lot of money and no Jesus, because that's a false security. There was, a, there was a study done at Harvard several years ago, and they asked people who made zero to $25,000, how much more money would you need to survive? And they said, if we had about $8,000 more, I think I would be happy. And then they did a study of people who made $25,000 to $75,000, and they asked them the same question, how much more money would you need to be happy? And they said, if I had about $8,000 more, I would be happy. And then they asked the people, $75,000? To 125,000, they made that a year. They said, how much more money would you need to, to be happy? And they said, if I could just make about $8,000 more a year. And then they asked somebody, 125,000 and over. They asked those people, how much more money would you need just to be happy? And they said, if we had about $8,000 more a year, we would be happy. You know what happened? This is what they discovered, that the American dream is about $8,000 a year away. And it's always out of reach. A millionaire once said, you know what's great about becoming a millionaire? I was ready to make my next million. See, we think money is going to be security for us, and we reach into the familiar, and we just say, if I have enough money in my account, I'll be okay. But what we're really doing is longing for a God who offers that security. We do it with control, too. We do it with control, too. If I could just control the situation... If I could just have my life so planned and so detailed and everybody that's around me, if I could just have them on a plan and so detailed that life will be good and I'll feel better. And we're longing for peace and we're longing for peace from God, but we think that we're going to get peace by controlling every situation. I want you to know this morning, it's not controlling every situation. If that's you, you're a control freak. Some of you guys are like, uh-oh, he's getting there. Oh, no. I'm looking straight ahead. I ain't looking at the person next to me. I ain't looking at the person next to me because they are talking about you. <laughs> now, there's a difference between being organized and, and control freak and, and well-organized people. I am not one of them. God bless my wife and my assistant here at church because they keep me organized. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people who think they can control every situation in life. And if they just detail enough and if their family is just following the plan and they're just going, that somehow that will get them peace. And yet they're longing for the God of peace. That peace that surpasses, the Bible says, that peace that surpasses all understanding. You know what that means? That means when we're in the storm, when things are falling apart, when, when your plans, your carefully made plans go to pieces because of a storm, that we as Christians can look at the God of peace and say that passes all understanding. I'm not freaking out in the storm because I have a God of peace who allows me to pass that. You see, we as Christians can look to the Christ in the crisis. And some of you today who are thinking that life is, is going well and you're reaching for that familiar because of the control that you have, you need to give your life to the Christ of the crisis. 
and let you understand that no matter what happens in your plans, as a believer, we will pass over and it passes all understanding and the Christ of the crisis will still be there no matter whether your detailed plans fall apart or not. Amen? Amen. We continue to reach for the familiar, I mean for the faithful, only to put our hands in the familiar. There's a story, a, a children's story called Puncherello. And I love this children's story. And I'm going to put my own little twist onto it, so don't come up to later and say, that's not exactly how it goes, Pastor Scott. I'm just telling you right now. Put my own little twist. But here it goes. Story goes like this. There was a, there was a community, there was a world that boys and girls and men and women lived in, and they were made out of wood. And they were made out of beautiful, shiny wood. And the, the witcher makers is what they called them, these witcher people who were made out of this shiny wood would walk around and they were a beautiful people, they were a lovely people, they were a kind people, but their economy, the way they did things in their society was all based on their performance. For example, if one of the witcher kids ran a race and he came in first place, then he would get a gold star on his beautiful wood. And if a witcher kid jumped higher than everybody else, he would get a star for jumping so high. But conversely, what would happen is if one little boy would do something, he wouldn't get a star, he would get a dot. So for example, there was a one little boy who he would try his hardest and he would run and he would try, try to run as fastest, but he would never win. And so instead of getting a star, he got a dot on his wood. And he would try to jump higher than everybody else, but he would only fall and scuff up his wood and he would get another dot. He would never win. In fact, he had so many dots, they started giving him dots for all the dots that he had. And one day this little boy is sad, realizing he just has nothing but dots all over him. And he sees this wicker girl walking by. And he noticed that this wicker girl didn't have any dots. She didn't have any stars either. You could just see her beautiful wood carved to perfection. And he, he watched as a man went up to this wicker girl and said, well, you are a beautiful wicker person. Let me give you a star for being so beautiful. And he put the star on the wicker person and the star just fell off. He goes, hold on, let me pick that star up and put that star right on you, wicker woman. And he put that star right on and the star fell off. And he began to get frustrated and he said, you know what, I'm gonna give you a dot. And he picked up a dot and he tried to put the dot on the wicker woman and the dot fell off. See, nothing was sticking to the beautiful wicker woman. And this little boy who was so full of dots looked at her. He got up to enough courage and he went up to this wicker woman and he said, how do you do that? How do you make nothing stick on you? And she goes, do you really want to know? And he goes, of course, look at me. Of course I want to know. She goes, well, you meet me here tomorrow morning and I'll show you how you can get nothing to stick to you. I'll be here, he says. And he goes home and he could hardly sleep. He was so excited. And he shows up the next morning, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. And the wicker woman was there. And he goes, I'm ready to hear. And she goes, 
Well, I made an appointment at the wicker maker's house. And we got to go talk to the wicker maker. And the little boy goes, I can't, I, I, I can't go talk to the wicker maker. Look at me. I have all these dots on me. How can I talk to the wicker maker? I can't go. And the, and the wicker woman says, you have to go. He's expecting you. He's expecting me? Yeah. He's expecting you. So they walk down the trail to the wicker maker's house and the little door boy knocks on the door and his heart starts to beat and he turns around and he goes, I can't do it. I can't go to the wicker maker's house. I can't let him see me like this. And as he's starting to walk away, the door opens to the wicker maker's house and he hears a voice that says, come in, my son. I've been expecting you. So he turns around and he walks into the wicker maker's house and he sits down. And for an hour, him and the wicker maker have a wonderful conversation. The wicker maker made him feel so at home. And at the end of the hour, the boy says, well, I got to get going. It was sure great talking to you. And the wicker maker says, would you like to do this again tomorrow? And the little boy looks up at him and says, oh boy, I would love to do this with you tomorrow. And the wicker maker says, then I will see you tomorrow. And the little wicker boy says, oh, I can't wait. And the wicker boy turns around to leave. And as he's leaving, a dot fell off. And he looks at the dot. And he looks at the wicker maker. And he says, thank you. I'll see you tomorrow. You see, because here's the deal. In the presence of the wicker maker, all the dots fall off. All the dots fall off. In fact, not only do the dots fall off, but the stars fall off as well. Because in the presence of the wicker maker, nothing sticks to that wood. It's just seen as pure as it is. Here's what I'm trying to say. What do we do with a disobedient God? We stand before him. And we wait for him. And we take all our dots and we take all our stars and we lay them at his feet. And we just say, I know you've been faithful before. I know you've changed my life. I am here because of you. You are my God. I am your people. You are my Lord. And I'm here to just serve you. And I'm here to bow at your feet. And I give you everything. I give you everything. I give you my familiar things. I get my hand out of that cookie jar and I say, I give you all of it. That's what we do with a disobedient God. What are you reaching for this morning? What are you reaching for? Maybe you got stars and dots all over you and you just reach for that which is familiar and you reach for that recognition that people give you and, and you know that's empty. What are you reaching for this morning? This is what I want you to do. I want you to humor me in something. I want you to reach for something right now. Underneath your seat, there is a rock. I want you to reach for that rock. Just a little rock. If you don't have a rock under your seat, reach for another one under another seat because the 9 o'clock service, they take all their stuff with them, man. So maybe they got to deal with some serious stuff. I don't know, but reach for that rock. 
And this morning, I want this rock to represent that which is familiar to you, that which you reach for instead of reaching for the faithful one. You reach for these things. It could be anything. But it's those things that you reach for that distract you from reaching for the one that is faithful, for reaching for our God that is so good. It could be anything. What distracts you? What do you reach for? Like the Israelites reach for that gold so that they can make a God that controls them. What are you reaching for? I want you to think about that for just a second. And I want that to represent this rock. Now in just a moment, we're going to pray. And I'm going to give you guys time to pray about the familiar rock that you have in your hand. Instead of reaching for the familiar, reach for the faithful Instead of reaching for the familiar, reach for the faithful one who has been faithful before and he'll be faithful again. What are you reaching for? Let's pray. Father.